Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Follow them on Twitter at Campus, the number 2 Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. And father of the year, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And we are here today to talk about Conference Championship Week. We are done with the regular season, it is over for all of those teams that are not going to make a bowl. We will uh, see them next year, but let's reflect real quick on the regular season before we move forward to the conference championships here, Nick. Uh, you know, just wrap up the season. What were your favorite things you saw? What were the surprising things? I mean, we didn't have as much chaos as we're used to in a college football season, uh, but it still was a fun season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, in some ways, I'm sure some people think that I'm just the worst because my, my brain has already moved on. It's 2024. I'm, I'm, you know, looking for transfer portal and senior bowl invites and all that sort of stuff. Uh, especially this week, the, the transfer news has been crazy, but yeah, I, I agree um, that the, you know, usually we get, uh, like one crazy week where three top 10 teams go down. Right, and, right. And, uh, you know, they're massive upsets. And and not only were there not, you know, very many major upsets for the highly ranked teams in the preseason, there really just weren't that many upsets. I mean, right. uh, we've, we've touched on it briefly uh, in the past, but, uh, you know, our, our projections and our picks – uh, just in straight up, who's going to win the game um, are at an all-time high this year at nearly 75%. Our previous high was 73.3%. So, um, I mean, that's a that's a significant uh, jump there. And, um, you know, that that's what the – our lines are very, very similar to, to the odds makers um, as far as who's going to win and, and who's not. We don't have very many – wrong team favorite projections each week, but um, yeah, they're just, you know, how many undefeated teams do we have? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's basically one in every major conference. Uh, there's at least one at the group of five level, uh, but it's just, this is one of those years where the teams that were supposed to win the teams that were expected to be um, the most dominant teams for the most part were, and you know, uh, there are, surprises every week but um there were just fewer of them on the whole this year and and the numbers definitely back that up but um it's interesting because you know the last 13 weeks or so have gone really really quickly and for the most part i really haven't taken much time to sit down and and reflect um and I'll try to do that some in, in the offseason. And actually, next week is is uh, kind of a good time for that, the week between the conference championship sure, sure. games and, and you know, a week or two before bowls uh, really start. Um, I do plan to, to, you know, dive into things like our 2023 returning production numbers, see what, uh, you know, how some of the teams that were at the very tip of that, um, you know, the highest and lowest uh, extremes of, of those numbers, how those teams did, some of these surprising teams, because there were teams definitely that 
uh, overachieved or underachieved week after week, try to get some clues as to, you know, what exactly happened with that. Was it some returning production stuff? Was it off the field stuff? Was it injuries? You know, what, kind of what what happened there so i don't really have that many of you know answers to those yet but i I think the the one that you mentioned just not too many major surprises uh is is something significant i mean you know 10 percentage points basically um in in the number of upsets this year is is uh noticeable notable and you know, we'll we'll see if uh, things stay the same. Maybe this is the week we get the crazy uh, upset or two uh, that knocks a, an undefeated team or, or two out of the uh, playoff conversation. But uh, the way things are going, the way things have gone so far this year, um, that doesn't seem all that likely. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a, a crazy year. It feels um, I don't know. I feel like we're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff happening in bowl season here uh, just because the teams changed so much from the last time we saw them to uh, when they come. I know you and Xavier were talking about uh, is Georgia state going to have enough team uh, to have enough players left on the team uh, to, to play their bowl game here. But Xavier, your thoughts uh, when you reflect back on the 2023 seat regular season, here. this was the perfect year to have a 12 team playoff. I think that's I think so too. Yeah. I think that's what I pull away from this year the most is when I really look at how even every team has felt throughout the year. Now, obviously, some teams have separated themselves towards the end here, Michigan and Georgia in particular, uh, Florida State even to an extent, but now obviously without Jordan Travis. You look at what a 12-team playoff would look like right now, and I would be ridiculously pumped to see some of these teams have to duke it out with the current, you know, CFP rankings. And it's, it's funny because I genuinely think that we're going to we have the kind of year this year that, you know, no, there's not a singular dominant team really uh, up until maybe the last two or three weeks of the college football season. And then watch, we're going to have like three cold blooded killers next year. And the gap will then be, you know, what it usually <laughs> is with 12. Right. Like, right. You know, right. Right now, you're, you're Murphy looking, and his laws, you know, yeah you, you know how that works. Right. Like. I would love to see Missouri versus Washington right now, which would be like a nine, three matchup, just being hypothetical, right. Just putting those out there. So like, that would be ridiculously awesome. Both of those offenses are crazy. Both of the defense can be shaky at times. Like it would be just a really fun matchup in my opinion. So that's my first takeaway. The other takeaway is I'm not sure that like anybody who wins the national championship team this year or wins the national championship, excuse me, this year would beat, a former version of a national championship team in, in previous years of the same school. Like I look back at, I look at this team and go, could this Georgia team beat last year's Georgia team or two years ago? Probably not. Could Ohio state, this Ohio state team contend with the 2014 Ohio state team? Probably not. Like every team this year, I go, you have a better, like a better version of your team in your past somewhere, some way. Like even Washington, I'm like, would this one be, previous team i'm not sure uh so I, that's another one me and my friends kind of did that uh that experiment the other day and we kind of figured out that like really washington is the only one and that's because their last championship was like in the 90s so just based off of the years that's kind of just how we figured it out everybody else had a team that was better than the one that's currently constructed um uh, but yeah I'm, I'm excited for bowl season like you said scott if georgia state doesn't have enough players at this point ah what the heck like there needs to be a change down there at Georgia State. I'm ready for a change. 
I, I think I think it's time. And I mean, I know my university better than most. They're not going to buy him out. We're probably just going to play it out, see what happens next year. They're not going to fork over half a million or a quarter, a three quarters of a million dollars to get a new guy. But hey, can you imagine not uh, handing over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars when? Texas A&M just paid like 80 million or whatever it is for Jimbo to just leave and go away. That's crazy. Right. The money around college football. So yeah, Yeah, it's different. It's different in different universities, but uh, let's dive in and talk about these conference championships. Let's talk, start with Friday, uh, Oregon and Washington in the PAC 12 championship. The line here is Oregon by nine and a half, 66 and a half is the total in this game. Uh, I don't know, Nick. I, I think that I think I'm thinking over and I'm thinking Oregon. What are your thoughts here? Well, you the way that you were talking there, you, you were starting to do what you sometimes do. when you're saying, I like this talking about your article. We kind of skipped over. How did that how did that finish? Yeah, you know, you? we're uh, not here to talk about the past. Okay. All right. OK, <laughs> we're here to talk about the future. Uh, I, understand. No, I, I, okay. I finished three games under. So, um, didn't, didn't get there, but, uh, you know, really what it was, was Tate Rodemaker and I will never forgive Mm. him. So I wanted the over in that game because Florida's defense had been so bad for a month. And I was like, okay, well you have Coleman, you have John and see, now you got me started. You have Johnny Wilson, (laughs) you have Trey Benson, you have Jaheim Bell. Like I, that game's got to go over It, it, you know? So, uh, and you know, may, maybe give the ball, Mac, maybe Max Brown and Florida do something. Uh, I, because Grant Mertz, I mean, look, he he play, he had a great year, but I don't know that he's a difference maker. Well, he was clearly, um, and also you know some idiotic penalties by Florida at the end of that game. But yeah, that was that was the big one that I missed uh, the last week of the season, and I've had so many like miss it by half a point, and like I mm-hmm. I could do a whole year's worth of bad beats on sports center by myself this year, but you know, mm-hmm. it's the nature of the beast. So yeah, first year I yeah. finished under 500 ever. So, and, it, you know. and you know what, maybe, maybe karma has smiled on you for, uh, yes, for, for some of that, but that is, true. uh, so, uh, Oregon and Washington, this, this is one that we were, uh, we, we've touched on. I mean, we've been looking forward to this game and, and expected Oregon and Washington to get here. And, and we've mentioned in weeks past that, Oregon, in a lot of ways, looks like one of the very best teams in college football. They are up to number two in our power rankings. They are number two in overall roster strength. Uh, They are number two in overall team performance. So um, this Oregon team is legitimately uh, not just a Pac-12 championship contender, but a, a national championship contender. And nine and a half was more than I expected. I I thought we would potentially be on the high side uh, in, in our projection, which is you know six and a half. Um, I was thinking Oregon would most certainly be favored, but I don't know. You know, I, I expected it to be somewhere in the you know three uh, or so range. Six might have you know uh, I, I I kind of would un- would have understood that. Um, but you know, the odds makers and, and the market, uh, see an even wider gap than our numbers do. Washington is 10th in our power rankings. Uh, they actually took a little bit of a step forward this past week. 
um, due to some other teams falling a little bit, but then also, you know, Washington does continue to get uh, highly rated players like Roma Dunze and, and uh, Michael Penix, of course, um, added production points and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, this, this one surprised me that it was nearly double digits because even though this Washington team has, uh, been far from dominant. Uh, they still have found a way to win every game on the schedule, and they have actually beaten this Oregon team before. Much different situation now. I think Oregon has really played its best football since that game, um, and Washington really hasn't. <laughs> uh, you know, they're they're just looking at their post game win expectancy numbers. Most of the, you know, the Georgias, the Michigans uh, that, that we'll talk about more later are 90% or more in, in most of those, uh, really most games this year. I mean, there was a good stretch. I think Michigan had like eight in a row of 100% or better. Uh, well, not better, 100% uh, in, in those numbers to start the year. And, and Washington, you know, they were 59% against Oregon. Um, they have been, uh, you know, 34% against Utah, 33% against, um, Oregon state. Uh, they were in the sixties against Arizona state and in the seventies last week against Washington state. And, and then in, you know, against Stanford teams that a lot of those teams are playing in bowl games. Right. Um, so this Washington team has definitely looked vulnerable uh the defense is you know middle of the pack nationally and and overall uh defensive team performance they're 57th they really struggle against the run they're 99th in our numbers against the run and oregon is you know such a well-balanced team that i think that they will potentially uh be able to take advantage of that you know bucky irving has been Excellent this year. Jordan James as well. The offensive line grades out really, really well. Number two. Oregon's basically number two in just about every category, it seems. They're number two in O-line performance ratings as well. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if if Washington does uh, stop the run or, or really emphasize that, Oregon's top ten in, in passing offensive team performance. Bo Nix is the current betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson, right there with, with the top wide receiver duos uh, in the country. And, you know, I, I certainly understand why Washington is is favored in this game. Our projection certainly sees it a little bit closer. I don't hate that. I mean, Washington, an undefeated team playing for a conference championship and a trip to uh, the college football playoff on a neutral field, and you're giving me almost double digits. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll happily take Washington. Oregon could flex its muscle and and uh, you know put beyond all doubt whether or not Washington is um, a somewhat fraudulent twelve and zero at least the last you know half dozen games or so. Um, but only our stats only model gets close. It has Oregon favored by nine, but you know all three are on the side of Washington plus nine and a half. I'm comfortable there. It may or may not happen, certainly, but um, I'm, I'm happy to be on the Washington side on this one. And, and uh, Washington unders have been, uh, at least the last few weeks, 
we've been on the under for Washington and it's worked out for us. This is another one, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, uh, I, I feel, I feel like the Washington side plus nine and a half. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable there, but I do understand why Oregon's a clear favorite to win. Xavier, when you look at this PAC 12 championship, you know, we saw this game play out earlier. Washington won. They are plus big points here. But Oregon has been on a roll since that game, and they look very dominant. Which way are you leaning in this one? Yeah, it feels very reminiscent of how, what was it? Was it a couple of years ago, Utah and Oregon met in the regular season. I think Utah won that game. And I think going from there, Utah looked like the worst of the two teams. Oregon was dominant. They came into the Pac-12 championship game, and I remember telling Nick, I was like, there's no way Oregon loses to Utah twice. Well, obviously we know how that went. When I come into this game, I understand that Washington is sputtered, but maybe this Washington team just has Oregon's number. And when I, because you know, and, and I'll go back and watch it again this week in preparation, but I watched, I rewatched the Oregon-Washington game, and I go, as much as Oregon had opportunities to win that game, at no point did Washington deserve to lose it either. Like, I go back and watch the game and go, it was fairly even. Oregon obviously misses a couple of opportunities in the red zone, you know, going for that extra mile, but Washington also really didn't put themselves in position to lose this game. And I feel like maybe it's just it's just styles make fights. And when it comes to Washington's style, they're just so free in the way that they play their offense. Now, sometimes that leads to Aaron throw. Sometimes that leads to 50-50 balls that, you know, he probably, you know, Penix could probably find a better target. But I feel like against an Oregon team that understands that they have to win and probably win a little bit convincingly to make the playoff. Feel like they're going to be stressing a little bit coming into this game, and I feel like Oregon—not Oregon, but I feel like Washington could play a little bit looser, understanding that they've beat this team before. Probably coming in with a little bit more of a wrinkle this game, in particular because of the fact that they've learned that they can be a little bit more balanced. Like we saw that, or we saw this same Washington team against USC figure out that they can run the football. Um, and I think that's something that we didn't say. I know for a fact I didn't say coming into their last matchup. We had talked about the fact that Washington, Oregon, excuse me, was way more balanced. Than, than Washington was. And I think at this point now, I think both teams have figured out ways uh, to be, I think Oregon is still equally as balanced, but I think Washington has figured out ways to be more balanced over the last couple of weeks. And I think the defenses that they've played have forced them to do so. Um, they've played probably two of the top five defenses in the Pac-12 over the last couple of games, playing Utah and then obviously Oregon State as well. And I think they're, a little, they're more battle-tested than I think people are giving them credit for coming into this game. I think for me, they were overlooking Washington State last week. I know it was the last Apple Cup in the Pac-12, but come on, like you, you you've got the Pac-12 championship in your first, in your second, excuse me, college football playoff berth on the line against Oregon the next week, and you're supposed to just go out there and handle business at home versus Washington State. Yeah, it can get a little touchy. I mean, we won't talk. We will talk about them later. But Georgia, Georgia rested like three starters against Georgia Tech, like. Just don't necessarily take those games all that seriously, you know, even though it is a rivalry game. So give me Washington to win this ball game. I think Oregon, it comes down to their defense making plays. Um, Penix is going to give you opportunities to do so as he trusts his receivers almost blindly to an extent. Uh, but he's gonna give his he's gonna give his guys chances to make plays. If Oregon's corners can do their job on the back end, then Oregon has a really good shot to win this game. Um, I have, I can't believe I'm saying this. I have trust in Bo Nix that he's going to get the job done at quarterback for Oregon. 
um, and that it's going to come down to whether or not Oregon's defense can create enough havoc in the backfield, can force Penix to make some errant throws, um, or just dares him to be the gunslinger that he's shown himself to be this year and, and picks up on it. Um, but give me Washington to win this game, finish their first 13-0 and season after finishing with their, I think, second 12-0 and season last week. Um, and it goes into the playoff as, as a team that's that has that scariness factor about them because you really just don't know what Penix is going to show up. And if Heisman contending Penix shows up in the playoff, it could be really dangerous for some of these teams. All right, let's go to the Big 12 championship here. Oklahoma State versus Texas. The line is my Longhorns by 14 and a half. The uh, total here is 55 and a half. Nick, I mean, Texas has been playing great. They have a good run defense. Oklahoma State runs the ball a lot. It seems kind of easy to me, but I am 100% completely biased. So why don't you <laughs> tell us uh, how you feel about this game? Well, so this time last week, uh, we didn't we didn't preview it in full, but we touched on it toward the very end, you know, kind of took your temperature. How did you feel going into the Texas Tech game? Uh, was not great. I felt pretty confident being on the, you know, that, that the Texas Tech side is a double digit underdog. We've seen about four, of... four minutes in that game. I felt like you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know things things worked out as they did and and this texas team is just different maybe right um all that said you know the way our numbers work out this week it's really pretty similar to uh the the oregon washington game on friday night so uh, we get close we are over 14 in both our team strength projection and our prism projection so that's that's you know, very, very close. That, that to me is impressive. Like it, that, that is giving Texas some respect, uh, at least as far as our numbers go, but that 14 and a half is just a, it's just a big number. Um, so we couldn't quite get there. We're in double digits and talent edge as well. So Texas is, is a clear favorite. This is the, the type of game where, Tell, yeah, they have a, a significant talent advantage. They've played like the better team all year. They've been much more consistent. I mean, Oklahoma is 48th in our power rankings. They're 60th in overall team performance. This is a team that lost 45 to three to UCF and 33 to seven, I think it was, against South Alabama. Uh, so we have seen this Oklahoma State team just play terribly. Um, but we've also seen this Oklahoma state team, uh, find a way to, to get itself to the big 12 championship. We've seen Ollie Gordon look like, uh, the, the likely Doak Walker award winner. Um, I mean, I know he's, you know, a CFF award winner. I did a write up today for John Lobb and it's going to be on fan tracks tomorrow. So hopefully I'm not spoiling anything too much, but, but, uh, Ollie Gordon was, a uh, our, our panel of uh, experts, of which I was somehow invited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ollie Gordon was a unanimous choice for the Barry Sanders CFF Running Back of the Year Award. So uh, great player. But, you know, this team as a whole, just they, they don't grade out particularly well. They're 56th and Offensive team performance overall, 61st, pa 61st passing, 47th running. They are 69th in overall defensive team performance, 
88th against the pass, 69th also against the run. Uh, you know, they, they have allowed uh, 6.28 yards per play against FBS opponents. That ranks 116th nationally. They have allowed 8.48 yards per pass attempt against FBS opponents. That ranks 124th nationally. Uh, you know, this, this team is just really in most statistical categories, uh, just just really doesn't stack up uh, at all to Texas, who is 8th in our power rankings, 11th in overall roster strength, 6th uh, in overall team performance. This is the rare season, I know since we've been doing this show, that Texas ranks higher in team performance than it does in roster strength. Uh, this Texas team is overperforming on the field. When's the last time uh, we have said that? So Not many times. Uh, all that said, I, I feel like I'm. you give me 14 and a half points uh, for us to grade our projection against on the Oklahoma State side. Sure, I'll, I'll take them uh, because I've seen, you know, uh, Gundy, Mike Gundy led Oklahoma State team beat a much more talented Texas team. You know, seeing them just really be uh, a pain to a, a better, more talented Texas team that should win by more than two touchdowns. So, you know, could this Texas team truly be different? Is this, you know, the best Texas team we've seen in a decade, in a generation? Uh, very well may be. Will they get it done and, and you know, win – 42 to three, that's within the realm of possibility as well. Um, however, again, I, I will take those 14 and a half points and, and uh, put our projection to, to say, you know, Oklahoma State's going to be able to keep it close enough, uh, be enough of a, a pain that Texas just might not be able to pull away. I'm, I'm comfortable being on that side as well. So um, this one could go either way. Maybe this is finally the moment that Texas falls on its face and, and you know, Oklahoma State gets that win um, in upset fashion. But also I could see Texas winning by 40. So um, I'll take the 14 and a half and, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, right. So there's the wrong pick, Xavier. Uh, what, what do you think? Are you, uh, are you laying the points? With Texas, or are you taking uh, the points with Oklahoma State here? Unless Ali Gordon runs for 300 yards, give me Texas. I just, when you look at this Oklahoma State team, the issue that I really have with even picking them to cover is they've, their defense has been so uninspiring for the last three weeks. Like, you gave up 45 to UCF, 30 to a Houston team who just fired Dana Hogerson like a couple days ago. Um, and BYU got 34 on you guys, and it took for Ali Gordon to turn into the second coming of Barry, of Barry Sanders to win that game. So at least on the defensive side of the ball, I have no faith in Oklahoma State coming to this game, especially what they've looked like um, in some respects, you know, um, against the run. On top of that, I'm not sure Alan Bowman's going to leave this game unscathed in the turnover department. He's thrown at least one interception in his last what four in his last three games. Um, I said earlier, you know, I said last week, I believe we talked about it either a week last week or two weeks ago that you know he had to beat Oklahoma without throwing a touchdown pass. Like 
this is not a guy who instills the most confidence in me with a Texas team. I think defensively has found their footing this year. Um, they, they finally listened to Scott and have started to tackle. Brilliant. Um, so I, I really think that Texas's defense for me has been good enough um, down the stretch of this year's season. I feel like they've been really good in in handling business against teams who aren't of the same level as them. Uh, the only game that they really didn't, in my opinion, was against Houston. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Kansas State for me is probably the third best offensive team in the in the conference um, as far as balance is concerned. So I'm not so them giving up 30 to Kansas State was was not all that uh, all that damning in my opinion. But they really handled business against Kansas, who we thought could be a sleeper game. Beat them. You know, only gave up 14 points. Baylor early in the year, which we all, which we thought was possibly a, a trap game, held Baylor to six. I think they're going to look at this Oklahoma State team, realize that if they stop Ollie Gordon and they first and they for, force Bowman to be, you know, a pocket passer, that's what they're that they're that's what they're going to do, and that's what they're good at right now. Um, if you really go all the way back, and I'm really just doing this so I can also crap on Bama a little bit. The <laughs> one thing that they did with Jalen Milrow is they took away his running game. They took away Jace, uh, Jace McClellan. McClellan only ran for 45 yards. They forced Milrow to sit in the pocket and beat them, and he couldn't do it for all four quarters. I think they're going to instill the similar a, a similar style uh, this week against Oklahoma State, and they're going to suffocate that offense. Um, and I, I really like Texas to cover in this game. I think this is the game that if anybody loses a conference championship, whether that be FSU, um, whether that be FSU or or Georgia or Michigan, which I don't see happening, but let's just throw them in there. Texas can put together a performance that gets them in, and I think they do it this week. Hey, from your lips to God's ears, I'm uh, I'm all about it. So uh, hopefully it goes. I that think way. they'll win too. all i hear is a bunch of nonsense coming out of the microphone (laughs) i don't know what's happening here Um, (laughs) look i i i hope it's a big win and obviously this i mean you know to be completely biased this is why i think a 12 team playoff would work great this year but also we would have some duds in there you know florida state without rodemaker probably it's not gonna be very good so We'll see, but let's go over to the Big Ten Championship. Michigan is a 23 and a half point favorite against Iowa in the Big Big Ten Championship. Uh, the total here is 34 and a half only. I mean, Nick, I've got Michigan covering that uh, by themselves <laughs> against Iowa. I think they roll in this game. I don't think it's particularly close. You know, Iowa's good on one side of the football, and that is not good enough to. I mean, didn't they lose like 31 three or whatever to Penn State? And Michigan is way better than Penn State. Uh, so I just 31 nothing. There it is. So I just don't I don't know how Iowa scores in this game. And I think Michigan scores five touchdowns, which would get us this over. Yeah. And that looking back through the scores, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, that is the uh, the most points Iowa is allowed in the game this year. That's probably not a, a major surprise here. But if I'm looking at this correctly that is the uh, 16 they beat michigan state 26 16 um that's the second most points that that they've allowed now obviously you know michigan we've seen this michigan team dominate in the second half that that pitt state team um so by that transitive property not a big deal but um this this iowa defense is legitimately uh, pretty incredible 
Um, and they will be without their best player, unfortunately, Cooper DeGene, All-American uh, corner, uh, return man, has made many a, a big play on special teams uh, that, that Iowa desperately needed to get in position to score points or, or he would go out and score points himself. Um, so that's a big loss. They've overcome it the last couple of weeks. They've been without him, but um, this Iowa defense, I think will be difficult. You know, Michigan uh, so far has, has risen to every challenge, but this Iowa defense really, really is um I mean, they're they're tough. They're tough against everybody. Uh, so, can can Michigan score the the thirty one or, or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if this game is, uh, you know, pretty close in the fourth quarter. Um, this is projections wise. Again, very very similar. Our numbers have Michigan is at least a twenty point favorite across the board but none of our projections could get to 23 and a half. So all three of our projection models agree that uh, there's just you know too, bit, uh, too big of a, a, a gap, according to the odds makers. My level of confidence is, is not super, super high that we're on the right side, but uh, in a conference title game uh, with one of the very best defenses in the country, um, on, on our side, I, I will take those 23 and a half points. So, um, our projection, our final score as usual for Iowa games, we just, we haven't been able to get to the, to the over, um, or, or our projections can't quite get to the, to the under, I should say, but we're 30 to 10, eh, you know, 30 to 30 to seven still gets us a win. So, uh, I would take that, but yeah, this this Michigan team is again one of the very best teams in the country, and our power rankings are a little slow to adapt. Sometimes we talked all season that that Ohio State was consistently uh, at or near number one in our power rankings. Uh, we still uh, have Ohio State uh, ranked higher than Michigan in our power rankings. Michigan's currently number four. Um, that in part is because Roster strength, they're number four. They are number one in our team performance numbers. So we do show that Michigan has been the best team on the field this season. Uh, they also have the best defense in the country on the field. They're number one in defensive team performance, number one against the run. So will Iowa be able to score a point? Not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, Michigan uh, is every bit uh, worthy of its undefeated record. Uh, past every test, it's been given uh really there were you know the penn state game and the ohio state game but but they they got it done everything else they were very very dominant 94 percent or more post-game win expectancy in every game except that uh hiccup against maryland so i i expect that they will take care of business against iowa clearly the more talented team clearly uh the better team better offense more talent you know more more uh explosiveness uh, skill position, especially on the offensive side of the ball, there's a huge, huge gap there. Um, but again, numbers wise, 23 and a half is, is just too many points for us to get there. So I'll take it and I'll hope that Iowa can keep it close into the fourth quarter. But Michigan, I think, is is definitely going to win this game and, and uh, 
get another opportunity in the playoff. Xavier, your thoughts on the Big Ten championship here? I mean, Nick laid it out. I laid it out. We don't think Iowa has a chance. You, you got him with a chance here or no? No. Yeah. No. I, I, you know, it's funny because when you look at this game, realistically, Iowa's defense does counter the best part of Michigan, and that's their run game, right? Like, Iowa's defense has seen this run game before and handled it okay. They weren't great against it um, last season in particular, but they were okay against it, right? The thing that, for me, allows Michigan to really step into this game and win this game handedly is the maturation of J.J. McCarthy. Like, he one, he has to be better for them to win a national championship. Let's just call it what it is. But I, I was looking at some of his numbers, and we've talked about this. I talked about this last week a little bit as well. If they allow him to do some of the things he was able to do last week, not everything, um, and they still kind of kept the the training wheels on him last week, letting him only throw 20 passes, 148 yards, wasn't an air-out performance. But I think in this game, this is the game for Michigan to try those things. It's the game for Michigan to figure out what their quarterback can and can't do in these massive matchups. And if they do that and allow him to really, you know, expand his game like they do against other, you know, middle-of-the-road teams, and Iowa defensively might not be middle-of-the-road, but as a unit, Iowa's just they're, – they're right above average to good, in my opinion. They just play in a weaker division. And I think when you look at McCarthy, he has to – but McCarthy has to air it out a little bit more if if Michigan's going to one cover the to cover it by themselves, but win by the total that they that they thought of. Because when I look at when I look at this Michigan team, I go, okay, their run game is elite. Cool. Well, Iowa's run defense has been one of the best in the country. The one thing that Iowa has not been able to do consistently, though, is come together, especially with their best corner out, to be able to to, to run with teams or play with teams that can actually you know challenge their secondary. Now, obviously, they don't see it as much. Right. But the couple of, you know, the couple of times that you go, mm, they're, they're in trouble, like against Penn State earlier in the year, it's because Drew Allen threw for four touchdowns. Right. It's because they all, you know, they shut down, and we talked about it in the preseason, one of the best two, run, you know, running back tandems in the country. Uh, Katron Allen only had 72 yards. I don't even know what Nick Singleton had, but I, I, he, Katron Allen was the leading rusher. So, you know, but Drew Allen threw for four TDs and he threw 37 times. And, you know, I think if I was going, or sorry, if Michigan's going to win this game and win it handedly, it's going to be on the back of JJ McCarthy dropping back more than normal, throwing the football around, and testing a secondary that's going to be having somebody to replace one of their best corner, um, and probably maybe arguably their best player. Um, and then on top of that, Iowa, you want a chance to win this game? Defensive turnovers, turnovers, short fields, hold Michigan to field goals in the red zone, make it ugly, as Iowa does. Make it ugly, right? If you're going to have any chance of winning this game, it needs to be like 16-7 going into the fourth quarter. I mean, make it hideous. Really, like, you know, you're going to really have to muck it up. Um, And I don't know how their defense does that. Obviously, without their best player, it's going to be tough. But I do also think that when you look at what um, what Iowa does really well, it matches up extremely well with what Michigan does at the highest level, and that's running the football. But give me Michigan big. I'm going to need J.J. McCarthy to finally come off the training wheels, bro. He's been there for almost three seasons now. Like, hardball, whoever's the coach, take the training wheels off this kid because that's the only way Michigan's going to win a national title. You're not going to win a national title treating him like he's Trent Dilfer and this is 2002. It's not going to happen. It's just it's not going to happen. So, 
this is the time to start taking the trainers off of him and figure out what he can and cannot do in a, in a big game where they have to win, obviously. But come on, like this is it. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge game, but yeah, I mean, they're going to smoke Iowa and it's I I think they could trip into 35 points. I feel like with how bad Iowa's offense is, uh, it's just, it's the defense is like, it, it is a national title contending defense for Iowa, but the offense should be in the FCS. It's just, how does it get, how, how is it this big of a disparagement? But you know, it's been the case at Iowa forever. So it's amazing. Let's go to the ACC title game, Louisville against Florida State. Florida State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. 48-and-a-half is the total in this game. Nick, this one feels like just an under to me because I watched Tate Rodemaker play uh, <laughs> last week, and I did not like it. So uh, your thoughts on this game? Is this a game where maybe you just take Louisville on the money line? Well, I, I think that uh, – I think this is definitely a game that Louisville – can win and Louisville did uh, we 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 learned a thing or two last week I think uh, about Louisville uh, ten win team certainly played really really well uh, most of the season very commendable job by Jeff Brom in his first year as the head coach of his alma mater uh, the the way that the number of transfers that they brought in came together and, and uh, were able to mesh in, you know, enough time to win those 10 games, get to a conference championship game. Very, very impressive. But going back, looking through um, the teams that they beat to get there, very, very manageable schedule. Um, and last week had an opportunity against a, a talented Kentucky team who had been a little disappointing. Uh, there were rumors circling around um, its head coach potentially leaving. Sounded like uh, a, a deal was in place shortly after the game um, ended. But a, a Kentucky team that uh, was an underdog coming in and and you know ranked barely inside the top forty in our power rankings. Uh, this Louisville team just got pushed around a little bit and, you know, didn't get blown out. But um, if you just were to, to look at the records and think, oh, this this Kentucky team is a little bit disappointing, pretty mediocre, um, and this Louisville team's a 10-win team on its way to play for a conference championship, has a legitimate shot to knock off an undefeated, you know, national title contender. Louisville itself had, you know, playoff uh, aspirations still alive in, in that game, but uh, just, just weren't able – weren't able to get it done and, and I think got exposed a little bit. Um, this Florida State team is very good. Uh, they, like Washington, um, have earned their undefeated record. Uh, it's hard to win 12 games in a season. It's hard to go undefeated uh, regardless of, of who you play in college football. Florida State – uh, is now operating in, in a different way. And you mentioned Tate Rodemaker, obviously. Uh, there's a, a significant drop-off from Jordan Travis numbers-wise, the way we calculate it. Jordan Travis is a 100-rated individual uh, player rating type player, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Tate Rodemaker, you know, 
not only is there a big step down in the level of experience last week, I believe was his second start of his career. So this will be his third, but you know, he's a 77, uh, almost 78 rated player. So if you think of those, these equate to video game ratings, that's, that's what we call it. VGR. Um, that's, that's a big drop off there. And so it's understandable that this Florida state team, which had been a top 10 team, maybe a little, uh, lower in our power rankings than they were, uh, in the college football playoff rankings or, or, you know, the AP poll prior to that, they were still legitimately a, a championship contender. Now they're 16th in our power rankings, third in the ACC, a bit of a surprise there. Um, so the loss of, of Jordan Travis is a big one. And we saw a little bit of what that looked like last week. The offense took a big step back. Um, but, this has been a you know top twenty five offense all season. Uh, the rushing attack is is a little disappointing. They're sixty sixth in overall rushing team performance. Uh, I think we saw that they've got the capability of of running the football better. Trey Benson really did come along as that game uh, progressed. They are going to have to I think lean on him quite a bit because there just doesn't seem to be quite the level of explosiveness. Uh, in the passing attack, you know, aren't quite able to take advantage of Keon Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson as well uh, with Tate Rodemaker throwing the football compared to, to Jordan Travis so far this season. But uh, Florida State has a top 15 defense. They're number 12 in defensive team performance overall. They are number eight against the pass. So they they stack up pretty well uh, against Louisville. And, and going back to you know, the comparison against Kentucky, even with Jordan Travis out of the mix. Uh, Florida State is still top 20 in overall roster strength. Kentucky is 38th right now. Um, so this Florida State team is is far and away the more talented team, most talented team that Louisville has played so far this year. They are number two in defensive roster strength. Um, you know, Jared Versus is going to be a a uh, very high NFL draft pick. Braden Fisk has already accepted an invite to the senior bowl. Um, it is a veteran defense seniors across the board, basically uh, on the defensive uh, you know, starting lineup. So this Florida state defense, I think is capable of, of keeping this uh, within reach. It's just, will Tate Rodemaker, be able to do enough or will Florida state be able to, to manufacture enough offense through guys like Trey Benson, Lawrence Toafili, who's a big play, uh, you know, waiting to happen almost at any time. Are they going to be able to get creative, get the ball in the hands of, of Keon Coleman and, and Jaheim Bell, Johnny Wilson, uh, you know, in more creative ways than they did last week against Florida. We shall see. So um, going back to our numbers, most of our uh, two of our three uh, our uh, projection models, the talent edge and the prism, uh, the, the stats only model, uh, which has Florida State is about a, a touchdown favorite because it doesn't it doesn't know that Jordan Travis isn't playing in this game. Um, but those two have Florida State to cover our team strength model, which takes into account you know, both talent and stats and uh, you know coaching history, all the, the things that we do. Gets very, very close to that two and a half, uh, but comes in just shy. It's 2.41. So we are technically on Louisville in that primary team strength model. 
Um, we are a little over, which I agree with you. You know, I would prefer we were on the under here because yeah. of the uh, the quarterback situation at Florida State. But you know, we use our prism model to help us uh, with those um, projected totals. So again, it doesn't doesn't know that. Uh, Jordan Travis is out of this game. So I uh, feel like we're probably on the wrong side there, but going back to one of the very first things I said, this is still a, a winnable game for Louisville. It is a losable game for Florida state. We've seen Louisville, you know, put together a really, really good performance against a solid Notre Dame team. We've also seen this Louisville team get somewhat pushed around by Kentucky and lost to a pretty bad pit team. So um it's another one where would it surprise me if Florida State lost? No. Would it surprise me if Florida State wins by, you know, 20? No, not really. So this this game could go a variety of different ways. Uh, I don't feel as good being on the the Louisville plus two and a half. Um, but, you know, I, I can talk myself into it being the right side as well. So I don't have a, a real strong lean personally. And, and uh, certainly our numbers don't see a, a big edge in this one. Xavier, uh, when you look at you know what Florida State did last week, obviously Jordan Travis going down didn't help. They narrowly escaped a loss of, to Florida, uh, and, and I know look Florida is still an SEC team. They're still a good squad, but they have looked bad this year, and they didn't have their starting quarterback either. And Florida State, you know, had to dance a little bit to pull this game out. So I don't know. When I look at this, I kind of like Louisville straight up. Like Nick said, the numbers lean towards Florida State still. That's my thought process from last week was, look, there's still a lot of good players at Florida State, even though Jordan Travis is out. But, you know, if the bus driver is drunk, who cares? We're not getting there, right? I, I feel like that's kind of what it is. And uh, that's uh, what Tate Rodemaker has shown us so far. So your thoughts on the ACC title game here? Yeah, they're going to have to – the stars on that team are going to have to really flex their muscles in this ballgame, right? You look at guys like like like, like what Nick named, right? You look at the, the Jaheim Bells of the world. You look at the Keon Comans. They're going to have to really flex their muscles in this game, um, realizing that they don't have a quarterback that I think wholeheartedly can, can run what, you know, Florida State wants to run. What makes Florida State so dynamic under Jordan Travis was not only his ability to hit the deep ball, but was his ability as a runner – to force you as a defense to stay in to stay in and make that play um, and keep your linebackers honest. You know, I think the one time Rotomaker ran last week, he almost got sent to the hospital. Like Jesus, that hit was, that hit was bad. Um, and I just feel like when you look at this team, you know, they, they don't necessarily feel all too comfortable with the idea that Rotomaker is going to have to be an athlete at some point in some, some point in time to win this game. And I just think that that's where, if you're Louisville, you're like, oh yeah, like we, like we, as long as we can do what we're supposed to do in the passing game, we have a shot in this game to win. Um, but they've got to do that too. And that's where, for me, Plummer has to show that he has made the proper adjustments um, to his own game to then make that, you know, make those passes that he has to make. Like, as sometimes this year, Plummer has looked excellent. Other times, I'm just like, where, where do you want the ball to go? Like maybe you can tell the ball before you snap it that you wanted to go to this side of the field because I'm not so sure that that's where you ultimately want to go with the football. So for me, I'm looking at this game and I go, Florida State's defense is going to have to step up. I think last week the one thing that happened with them is they kind of sleptwalked through the first like 35 minutes, realized, oh, we're in a swamp, down by like a score. 
hey, let's wake up, play some defense. Like, you know, we, we still got a chance to win. Like, our season's not done yet. I think to an extent, I'm not saying that this is exactly what happened, but I think to an extent they went into the game going, you know, we're going to have to be heroes tonight. And I think to an extent they did, but they also kept themselves in the game enough to compete with Florida and ultimately win that game. I think this week that offense has to wake up. Keon Coleman's going to have to make a couple 50-50 ball catches. Johnny Wilson, hey, bro, you're 6'7". I wish God gave me your height. Go make a couple plays. Like, just go make your quarterback right at least three times in this game, and it might be enough for you to win. Jaheim Bell, you've been crying about being a tight end since you left South Carolina. Well, go be the best tight end in the country. Like, that, that, that's what they brought you in for. That's why they went into the transfer portal as hard as they did. It's time to go ahead and do that in this game. And I think if they can, they have a real shot. Of, of, of winning in this ball game. Um, if not, Louisville's going to win this game like 24-13, and we're going to wonder what what if. You know, this is going to be a huge what if year for Florida State, right? Um, this will be the first time that they have, they've been to the CFP since the, the famous Jameis slip, slip against Oregon, right? Like, let, let's get some new memories. If I'm a Florida State fan, I want some new ones too because the last <laughs> time I was in the CFP playoff, I watched my quarterback fall on his butt, lose the football, and Oregon run it home for a touchdown um you know and ultimately win that ball game so i think florida state can get it done they have the names to do it like i know tate rotemaker is the quarterback but there's been times that jordan travis hasn't looked all that great this year and the guys have stepped up the keon coleman's the johnny wilson's the trey benson's i didn't name him sorry the jaheen bells have stepped up and made him look better do it for the guy behind him because you can all you guys are gonna go days one through three anyways in the draft you know so go do it um so i think louisville can Jack? I just don't have any. I don't have a ton of confidence in Plummer. I just don't. Uh, he scares me. Yeah, I understand that. He, he just worries me. I just and in a game of this magnitude, understanding that he's going to have to make a couple of throws against a a defense in Florida State that's 100 healthy. A guy in Jared Verse who's probably going to be a top 10 pick. You know, Nick alluded to some of the other guys on that team that have 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 genuinely stepped up this year. Yeah. He's going to have to make a couple of, like, really, really good throws in this game, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to make them. So give me Florida State to get to the CFB playoff with Tate Rotemaker, which is gross. But, look, my team won a national championship with a walk-on. I have no right to call anybody's quarterback situation gross. So let's – How many teams are you putting in the 14 playoff, by the way? Uh, Because didn't you just put Texas in there too? I said said if Texas does Y3 and banana, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but – okay. All right. I'm just just making sure. No, 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 no. I appreciate it because I can yeah, yeah. I, I, I can forget. But I said, <laughs> I said Texas needs a lot in front of them to happen to make it. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. I just like I said, that's why I'm a big Louisville fan this week. So yeah, which you should be, which you should be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm Alabama fan too. I mean, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we got to stop the line somewhere. Well, so, so, but I, I think that maybe if Alabama wins, they put Georgia and Bama in. That, that's my fear, and they still leave out Texas, even though Texas beat Bama. Man, a so. one, lo- a one loss Texas getting in over. Oh, sorry, one loss Bama getting in over a one loss Texas, and they have the head to head to determine that. Would yeah, I feel like now, 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 I will say this though. To your point, the, the the committee doesn't have to ever answer this question about four teams ever again. So they could just right. say F it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's going to be excited next year about Right, right, right. So. They, they can very State well. undefeated. Yep. 
Bama beats Georgia. Yep. Okay. Texas wins. Yep. And uh, Michigan wins, of course. Yep. And, and the Pac-12. So I think Pac-12 winners in. Michigan's in. Florida State's in because you can't you can't leave out an undefeated. Sure. I I think even I agree with that. Even though it would probably screw my team, I I believe that. Even though it would probably be the worst team out of the bunch. Yeah, sure. Uh, But they deserve to be there. They earned it. I'm fully on board with that, despite what it sounds like to people. I hate it when they're like, let's get the four best teams. And how yeah. about the four teams that earned it over the course of the season? Agreed. I, of Agreed. course, Agreed. want to see the four best teams, but that's the, it, it's not, it shouldn't work that way. Right. The four teams that earned it yeah. deserve to go. Yeah. So, so in that scenario, mm-hmm. Texas beat Bama, who beat Georgia. I think Texas goes and Bama and Georgia. They leave out, out. The, they leave out the SE. Well, that'll never happen. <laughs> they're not. They're not leaving out the SEC, Nick. Come on. I think that's what they should. You know, you know how I would do that. I'll agree with that all day long. <laughs> how amazing it would be for them to leave out the SEC and Texas joins the SEC next year. You know how many teams? Yeah, the SEC's in. We talking about Texas. The is SEC there. would be. There. <laughs> how many teams yeah. want to just shellac Texas next year just because of that? Like there would be a. They already. It already was hard for them to get into the SEC as it was. Imagine that being the attitude. No, I mean, it was hard hard to get Oklahoma in. Y'all had to bring them with you. But yeah, yeah. yeah. The the voting wasn't. The only person who didn't want Texas in in the SEC was AM, and we all know why. So, but that's neither here nor there. Um, It's like Texas showed up with their buddy. You're not going to let Steven? (laughs) Steven, I'm here. I'm vouching for him. Come on. He drove. Yeah, yeah, he drove. According to the people I've talked to, that's how the voting went. It was like, can we bring Texas in by itself? And it was like, no, yeah. okay, all right, Oklahoma, come on, you're the second best Big Twelve team. Come on, come, come. Oh um, man, well it's gonna be, uh, it, it's gonna be ex- exciting here, one way or the other. But uh, I mean, did we finish talking about the SEC title game? Did we we haven't even started. Yeah, I was gonna say, good Lord, we've been talking about. It for we so just long. assume Alabama's gonna yeah. win. Uh, um, well, I don't. I think uh, Georgia is the six and a half point favorite here. Fifty-four and a half is the total. Once again, this game is still in Atlanta. So uh, very, very large Georgia contingency. Alabama will show up, of course, as they always do. Uh, it's always annually one of the best games of the year until Texas gets in there and starts, uh, you know, uh, joining the SEC title game here. But, uh, Nick, I mean, you, you've said Bama a couple times. I think this is your negative Georgia fan uh, coming in here, your glass half empty Georgia fan. Is that how do you, is that how you see it going? Well, so I, I will say that we do have Georgia favored in all three of our projection models. This is a, a, a very repetitive episode for me because while we are on the side of, of a particular team to win, we are clearly on the side of the other team to cover, and that's that's the case here as well. So uh, our team strength projection has Georgia favored by uh, about 3.9 points. The talent edge goes to Georgia 3.1 uh, and the PRISM uh, stats-only model is a little over five and a half. And that includes zero points for uh, home field advantage. You could argue that maybe Georgia deserves a point or so, being so familiar with uh, the stadium, having played in it how many times the last couple of years. A lot of a lot of players on the roster have experience there. Um, and location, I mean, being – about an hour away 
uh, in Athens is is uh, pretty pretty you know reasonable. Uh, their their game day preparation, game day schedule is going to be pretty similar to what it would be for a home game, just with a, a little bit of a bus ride there. But um, Georgia, yeah, I was I was negative on Georgia for a good chunk of the season. I was negative on Alabama for for a bit as well. Um, but both of these teams have really, really rounded into form. And, you know, Georgia is, is absolutely playing its best football in the last month, really since the Florida game, uh, with, a, with a little bit of an exception against Missouri where they, they look like they were in trouble for a bit. Um, Georgia's just been, you know, the the Georgia that we really got used to seeing the last few years. And and I think that they are there. I think that um, there are some things to be a little bit concerned about. We didn't see Brock Bowers play last week. We didn't see Ladd McConkey play last week. There's some injuries on the defensive side of the ball as well. There's some offensive linemen who've been in and out of the lineup. Um, but I think that, you know, we're, we're probably going to see um, McConkey and, and Bowers give it a go. Everybody who's capable of, of uh, suiting up and playing, I, I believe, is going to give it their best effort for Georgia. So they may not be full, you know, full strength, um, but I think that, that we will see as close to full strength for Georgia as, as can be. Alabama's got some injuries to be a little bit concerned about as well. Kobe Prentice missed a couple of weeks ago, um, has really been limited. Jace McClellan, there was a walking boot, I believe, uh, either after the game last week or, or you know, maybe on the, the Monday uh, media viewing. Uh, they, they saw that he's dealing with some stuff, some comments from head coach Nick Saban that, that he's, uh, I believe, questionable officially for this game um but this alabama team is is really starting to uh similar to georgia round itself into the alabama team that we are used to seeing year in and year out and and the one that uh for the most part we expected to see coming into this year and and our numbers were a little bit lower on alabama than they usually are but they still saw alabama as a you know top five top six team in the country um, got off to a little bit of a slow start. Certainly the loss to Texas uh, made this Alabama team uh, look far more vulnerable week in and week out than we expected. The uncertainty of the quarterback position uh, where Jalen Milrow was briefly benched after that Texas game. Uh, but now Milrow's playing like a Heisman trophy candidate. I mean, if this, if this, uh, uh, you know, if we were to fast forward to um, 2024, I have to think Jalen Milrow is on the very short list of preseason Heisman favorites. Uh, I know, again, did a little CFF research just this past week, um, and, and certainly the, the Campus to Canton crew and the uh, Discord and, and the uh, Slack keep me a little more tied into to CFF stuff than I sometimes am. Um, Jalen Milrow is a top 20 fantasy quarterback so far this year. So just the, the actual, uh, stats are, are there for him. Um, he's really come on strong and, and, you know, is more than fourth and 31, but boy, that, that, uh, throw and catch there at the end of the, the iron bowl to, uh, win the game was Good just Lord. absolutely incredible. Um, 
But uh, Milrow now looks like is playing as well as one of the best quarterbacks in the country, playing like a quarterback capable, I think, of uh, pulling off this upset. Uh, we've seen Jermaine Burton. Uh, you know, he was really disappointing last year after transferring from Georgia to Alabama. This year, he's been he's been solid. Um, he is he has made some plays. He's been the most productive wide receiver uh, throughout the entirety of the season. I would say Isaiah Bond has certainly had his moments and and really seems to be coming along. Um, we've seen you know different guys step up and make plays for Alabama, which has been uh, I think really important to their uh, you know this this stretch that they are putting together here um, to to put themselves in position now to strike and and maybe play them selves into a uh, playoff spot in an SEC championship. Um, but this is not, at least, you know, digging into the numbers, and they are not bad. But this is not the Alabama pro, you know, this team is not um, top, <laughs> top of just about every category uh, like we are used to seeing. They are number nine in overall roster strength. They are number seven in overall team performance. They are 13th in offensive team performance, 18th in defensive team performance, and they are fifth in our overall power rankings. I mean, that coming into this season, I don't think Alabama was ever lower than third in the, the five years previous that we've done in, in power rankings. Roster strength, they certainly have never been outside of the top three. Um, and team performance, they're pretty consistently uh, a top five program and, and you know more often than not. Uh, number one or number two in, in those team performance numbers overall. Um, and offensively, they really had a strong run there um, the last few years. So uh, we're in a little bit of, of uncharted territory, but I think that this is a very dangerous Alabama team that has gotten better over the course of the season. And this is a winnable game for Alabama, a losable game for Georgia. But I could say the very same thing uh, about Georgia. This team has gotten better, uh, you know, throughout the course of the season. Is playing its best football right now. Um, and we saw Alabama kind of toy around and and uh, don't want to say get lucky, but it's you know you're not going to convert a fourth and thirty-one uh, very often. So <laughs> um, the uh, you know last week. Alabama did not play its best football. Georgia, you know, they they it was a little closer there with with Georgia Tech. It's not like they um, just blew out their rival from from the opening whistle either. But uh, what I've seen from Georgia the last month of the season, last five weeks, is is uh, uh, been really really impressive and, and even more impressive than than what I've seen from Alabama recently. So I understand why Georgia is favored here. Absolutely. Uh, could see this being a comfortable Georgia win, like every game that we've previewed so far. Could see this uh, turning into a, a little bit of a, uh, a blowout one way or the other. Would not be shocked by that, but I also would not be shocked if it comes down to a last-second field goal and if Georgia finds itself on, on the wrong side of things. So I will, like I said, with, with you know three of the four we've discussed prior to this one, I'll take those points and, and be on the underdog, um, but my level of confidence isn't isn't super high because Georgia absolutely could win this game by uh, a touchdown or two, um, and just because they are 
<laughs> right now looking like uh, a legitimate, you know, three-peat national championship type team. Xavier, when you look at the SEC title game, I mean, is there any way you're not picking Georgia? We know you're biased, but also I'm not going to try to even sugarcoat it and be unbiased here. Georgia, this game is just purely mental for Georgia. Like, it's about beating Bama at the end of the day. Like, I don't mean to break it down so simply as that, but it is. If Georgia is to beat Bama on Saturday, it's because they they they, they blocked out all the mental of the past. Georgia still has yet to beat Bama in the SEC, um, I think in my lifetime. Uh, they haven't beat him in an SEC title game. They haven't beat him in an SEC regular season game, at least in my lifetime. So, for me, even though they beat him on the biggest – Nick, I could be wrong about that, so – Please, by all means. Um, but that, that's that's where they that's where if anything, if anywhere that Bama has the actual advantage, that's where it is. Um, obviously, Georgia's beating them in a the national championship game, but as long as SEC anything has been on the on the line, whether that's SEC record, SEC title, Alabama's gotten the upper hand in my in my near memory for sure. Um, and I know that's what Kirby's and every week, and we've talked about this every week. Georgia has had something. To, run, to play for. And I think outside of, obviously, like, outside of the clear national championship expectations, they've had something to play for from a personal level, whether that be last week as a, you know, Kirby treats it as a state championship game, whether that's going into Neyland Stadium and beating Tennessee a rival, whether that's, you know, playing Lane Kiffin, who always gives you bulletin board material. They've always had something. Um, and I think in this game, once again, they've got that something that they're going to need to win this game. Um, and it's going to take, like I said, it's going to take for them to be mentally prepared. The one thing that this Georgia team has really failed to do this year has been, you know, securing the edges, whether it's against Missouri or you look at last week versus tech, they were really bad on the edges. Um, 2007 was our last regular season win over Bama. All right. So like I said, pretty much my lifetime, I was what eight, no, sorry, 11. Sorry, I even made myself younger. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just think when you look at this team, Kirby's got to get these guys' minds right, understanding that they've got, you know, in a sense, play this game, win this game. Then we can focus on whomever we're playing in the playoff. But you win this game, you're undoubtedly in. There's no conversation. There's nothing. You're the number one team coming in. You win this game, you're the number one team coming out. And I think the big thing for, for Georgia is just staying locked in. You know, I think – I think this is the this is the first time I've gone in as a Georgia fan, genuinely, and genuinely expected to win a game versus Bama, like just full steam, expected That's to. Fair. Win. Yeah. Um, and it's because our offense, fully healthy, I think is unstoppable. I, I've talked to you guys a lot about how I feel like this is the deepest wide receiving core that's ever been at Georgia. Now, obviously, there might be some people back in the '90s that could tell me differently. But when you're talking about, I genuinely feel like there's seven guys, six guys on this team that can win you a game at the receiver position, going all the way from the top and Brock Bowers coming all the way, you know, to the middle with, with Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Levitt and, and you know, uh, Jack Saint and Oscar Delp. Like, I could just continue to name guys. I didn't even name Lad McConkey. So I just think that when you really look at this team offensively, it gives this team a ton of confidence to be able to go out there and defensively, you don't have to be perfect to win this game. Um, on the Bama side, Jalen Milrow has to kill Georgia with his legs. The one thing Georgia has not figured out this year, um, in the two closest games that they've played outside of Missouri, and even in Missouri, 
is quarterback running, whether scripted or not. Against Tech, it was scripted. Um, against Missouri, Brady Cook was running unscripted. And I think if they're going to win this game, they're going to have – Jalen Milrow is going to get his in some respect, right? Like Jalen Milrow is going to get his as um, in some running plays. He's just that talented as a runner. He, he's an actually a literal tank in some respects. Like he's going to get his, but you've got to stop the big plays and on passing downs in particular. You know PTSD from Jalen Hurts. Keep the kid in the pocket and make the sack. You know that that that's what that's what changes this game from a twenty-four. 20 game going into the fourth quarter to Georgia up by multiple scores. And, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about national championship before the game is even over in my group chat. Right. That, that's just, that's just what happens. So give me Georgia to win this game. Uh, because I genuinely believe that offensively, unlike in previous years, you've got an offense that just can go. And I don't know from a team in Bama that I don't know has been all has been hundred percent tested like that has the ability to cover all around the field. This is probably one of outside of really last year, one of the weaker secondaries Bama's had um, probably just from a youth perspective, uh, but outside of Kool-Aid McKinstry, I'm not necessarily being kept up at night by the rest of that secondary. Um, and I think on top of that, the other piece too, is that this Bama defense can get got up front. The one thing this, like, like I said to, to Nick last week and you guys, this defense, this offense is learning that they can run the football whenever they want to. I mean, there was a there was a couple of plays last week against Tech, and I know this is Tech we're talking about, but third and eight, third and nine. Let's run a draw. See what happens. Just we know we can dominate you at the point of attack. And if our and if our you know if our running back makes one move and breaks a tackle, he's gone. Um, and I said, if Kendall Milton can be fully healthy this offense really gets gets to going because he's the elite level talent. Love Dejan Edwards. But Kendall Milton is the, the the what we thought, you know, was like a Todd Gurley replica when he came out of high school. So give me Georgia in this one. Um, like I said, if, if they lose this game, it's purely mental. It's because they came in and they let Saban be Saban. Um, and they allowed that to ultimately take over um, in a game where they are, I can think, I can say this. They are the they're they're more talented than Bama. Um, they just finally the recruiting for Georgia has caught and caught up. I, I look around that offense and go, that offense could all be drafted in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Like from a Marius Mims to you know Cedric Van Pran to a, all of them could be drafted that way. And if Carson Beck stays, just like Nick said about Jalen Miro going into next year. I think Beck has got to be on your Heisman, you know, preseason watch list with some of the numbers he's put up um, in the in the year he's already had. Um, so, yeah, like give me, yeah, for sure, give me uh, Georgia to win this game. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm I, I want this one. I want it back. I really, <laughs> uh, I, I've got so many, and I, I can't explain to you how many Bama fans I have in my life because I lived there for two years. Right. So the, so the object of finally getting over the hump of beating them in, you know, in an SEC game, it, it, you know, in I the mean, last you're bouncing game. them. This is a playoff game. Right. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Like this is this is that one for me that I'm like, all right, Bama fans, we've done everything against y'all now and we play you next year. So we'll see you next year. But for now, wallowing your sorrows as being another two loss team for the for, for the second year in a row, which I don't know the, the last time Saban's had back to back two loss seasons, but it'd be nice to give him one now. I mean, when was the last time Bill Belichick had a season this bad? You know what I mean? Like, right. 
right? It comes for everybody. Yeah, eventually. No, no doubt. Nick, you were going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I already told you that Georgia loses this game. I'm probably out. So I understand I understand why you want this one. Bad. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about this team that everybody on this team, and Kirby kind of alluded to it in a press conference earlier this week, he was like, I don't only have a quarterback that has a chip on his shoulder, but I have an offensive coordinator who nobody believed in. And I was like, that's right. You have Bobo. Like, nobody – Georgia Good Twitter, when me. Bobo got hired, was like, eh. <laughs> you remember right. last time? Um, so I, I think there's a chip on this team's shoulder that gives them a, extra fervor because outside of really Bowers and McConkey, nobody on this team has done it. Like – even on the defensive side of the ball, Michael Williams was a freshman last year, so he got a sack in the national championship game. But throw that one your team, like you know, call it a spade a spade. Secondary is mostly intact, but oh, yeah, uh, uh, and, um, but but yeah, no, good, very good point. I agree. Uh, the I was being for any of our listeners who maybe first time here, I was being. Facetious. I, I, <laughs> there, Georgia still has plenty of avenues if, if they were to lose this game to, to make it to the playoff. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> it's not good if you lose. You, you're, no, you're you'd rather win. Win and, win and you're in, lose. Win and you're in, lose, and you're probably in, but maybe not. Maybe not. So, Wait, uh, not only four teams. Let's, so. not, let's not risk it, right? Let's not risk it. Exactly, exactly. All right, so uh, the other champ conference championship games, uh, CUSA is Liberty by 11 over New Mexico State. The total on that one's 56 and a half. The MAC championship, Toledo, is uh, playing Miami of Ohio. The line is Toledo by 8, 44 and a half is the low total on that one. The Mountain West championship game, UNLV versus Boise State. Boise is favored by two and a half. The total is 58 and a half in that game. Uh, the AAC championship is Tulane by three and a half over SMU, who is missing their quarterback in that game. 47 and a half is the total in that one. And then Troy host the Sunbelt championship against App State. Uh, Troy is a six point favorite and 52 and a half is a total in that game. Uh, Nick, when you look at the rest of the conference championship games, is there a game that stands out to you here and which one is it and how much money should we put on it? <laughs> well, uh, numbers wise, and, and uh, we skipped this part early on, which is which is fine. Give me a chance to, to brag a little bit here at the end. Uh, I've been highlighting our three uh, when our three models all line up on the favorite to cover. Um, last week was another very good week. We have been we've had winning weeks every week since uh, week six. We were 10 and 7 on these last week. We're 52 and 47 this season, uh, 44 and 28 in that period since week six. Um, and Troy is is one of those. I mean, we are projecting Troy to beat App State by nine or more in all three of our projection models. So see a pretty significant edge there over the six and a half. Um, it is 12 in our team strength model and 16 and a half. Uh, in, in the talent edge model. So our numbers love Troy over App State this week. Um, anything can happen in, in uh, conference championship 
week. So uh, that that last part of your question, I wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, put too much on it. But that that is a situation. It's the only one for us this week. But that is a, a situation that um, has been quite good numbers wise. Uh, for the last couple of months, um, everything else is is relatively close. We we do see a little bit of a a gap in the Toledo uh, in the MAC championship uh, over Miami Ohio, who also will be without its uh, starting quarterback. Avion Smith's had a little bit more um, you know opportunity to to lead his team in that spot than uh, was it Kevin Jennings, I believe is the SME quarterback uh, who's replacing Preston Stone. So, um, you know, maybe not as, as big of a, yeah, Kevin Jennings. I wasn't sure on the first name, uh, you know, not, not maybe as, as much of a uh, unfamiliar situation there, but we do see Toledo is more of a double digit favorite than, than seven and a half. We've gotten favored by, uh, about 11 and a quarter on the team strength model, 11 and a half in talent edge, uh, less than the seven and a half in our stats only model. So that's why it doesn't fall in that same category as Troy. But um, I think I like Toledo in that one. Everything else, we're very, very close. We are on Liberty to cover. I actually think I like New Mexico State personally in that one uh, to cover. Um, we are on UNLV to cover, but have Bo- Boise State uh, winning. All of our models have it less than two points um, in that one. And then we do see SMU covering against Tulane. Uh, even the the projection model that accounts for, um, uh, for SMU playing without Preston Stone, uh, you know, Tulane just hasn't, they have not been dominant. Um, I think that if Preston Stone were playing, pretty sure we'd have SMU favored in, in this game to win outright. Um, with him out, you know, certainly in a, a worse spot. But um, otherwise, our, our numbers still really do like SMU. So uh, we'll see if maybe they're able to, to get that rushing attack up and running. Uh, guys like LJ Johnson and, and uh, you know, Jalen Knighton, who's been limited in the last couple of weeks, uh, I think that they'll be able to, to run the football pretty well. Um, so not as confident as I would be, obviously, if, if Preston Stone were available. But but numbers kind of like SMU in that one, uh, maybe a little surprisingly. Xavier, uh, the, the rest of the conference championship games, is there one that stands out to you that you have a good lean on or uh, anything you just want to watch? I gotta commend App State for making it back to the Sun Belt Championship. Midway through the year, me and my friends had no clue who was gonna make it at that point, but we all were like, "Yeah, we don't know about App State." They ran the absolute table at the end of the year. Um, I also believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they beat James Madison as well um, down the stretch. They were the ones that beat them when yeah. the game day was on campus. Yeah, right. Like, you know, sometimes some teams just in your conference, find a way every year. And they have found a way again to just, you know, make it to the Sunbelt Championship, whether they win or lose, I have to commend them on it. Because even when, I think they started the year off four and two or something rather like that, I think they were, for the most part, counted out. Um, and then find themselves back there again is just really impressive. Um, I'm excited Three and four. Yeah, right. Yeah, they were, they were four and, uh, well, they were, they were two and two. To start, okay. and then they were 
three and four because they lost to Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion. Yep. And still have found themselves back. I can't believe Old Dominion is bowl eligible. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but give me give me SMU Tulane. I think this is SMU's last game in the AAC. So right. they join the ACC next year. So um, let's see if they can go out with a bang. Uh, for sure, that'll be fun to see. Um, and this, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the New Mexico State, right? You know, the same New Mexico State that went into Auburn and beat them by 21. Just That's so- right. The, and the same New Mexico State team that has won 10 games and lost to UMass, and it wasn't actually very close. That's, that's true. <laughs> they, they have been such an anomaly this season. Um, they were a magician. And- they Go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> interrupting you. But you 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 sparked something in me. Uh, we'll we'll have months to talk about this. But how about Jerry Kill? Yeah. And not only did he, I mean, this New Mexico State team, this is the best season in school history, right? No, uh, didn't even get the cameras a couple years ago. You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he has, I I, I think Jerry Kill is responsible for uh, New Mexico State and UTEP both looking for new head coaches right now because there really wasn't much pressure in in that part of the country and in, in that triangle of rivals uh, there in, in New Mexico and, and El Paso that, you know, Jerry Kill proved, hey, yeah, you can win. You can win here. We, can, we won 10 games even though we lost to UMass. Uh, and New Mexico and UTEP were like, you know what? Yeah, all right, we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do. And and some of the names that are floating around at, at those jobs, pretty interesting. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. But sorry, we have months to talk about New Mexico and UTEP, and you know I will. <laughs> of course, uh, of course. But, but back to back to business. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> Anything else on the conference championships, Xavier? No. I just happened to go back and look now. I had to go do it. I was trying to see who took Jerry Kill in the first year coaches draft. Um, it was Nick. Was had it to be me, right? Yeah. Let's see. Jerry Kill. Unfortunately, he's in his second year. So it didn't oh, impact oh, oh, yeah, yeah. this well for, right, right. for this year. Yeah, that's fair. That's but fair. pretty sure I was. I, I once uh, shared a van uh, to the airport with Jerry Kill. Oh, did you really? <laughs> oh, man, that's Nick. Meeting the right, I, that's right such there. a random yeah. story, right? <laughs> it is, it is. Hold on, hold on. I got to ask, sure. what state were you in? Montana. Uh, Texas. Of course. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, it, was the, uh, it was the coach's convention. And, oh, okay. Uh, oh. So we, we were staying at the, at the same hotel called a – uh, this was before uh, Uber and uh, Jeez. ended up booking a, a van with the Minnesota coaches. And I sat beside the offensive and defensive line coaches in the like, <laughs> third row of this van on the way. Put the skinny guy between airport. us, please. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I've never felt more insignificant in my life. Uh, <laughs> Jerry Kill sat next to the driver. He, he called shot. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Uh, that is a good story. So, uh, all right. Well, look, that is going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Nick, we didn't talk about it. Are we back next week? Or are we taking a week off? Oh, yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll back, back next we're week. Back. We, we got to catch up on some uh, transfer portal stuff. Oh, some coaching moves. Yeah. Oh, so uh, yeah. 
if if I I have been a little bit under the weather under the weather if things don't take a turn for the worse I I plan on us being back. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see. It depends on uh, the COVID report from Mr. Allen here. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Enjoy the conference championships. You can follow us all on Twitter at campus to Canton for campus to Canton at Bogman sports for myself at CFB winning edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next time. Take it easy, everybody.